What's going on, Seven Figures Nation? As always, our goal here with this podcast is to give you the tools and tactics, the strategies to build a seven figures business and to live a life where you have absolute financial independence and freedom. And a big part of that is understanding debt, when to take it on, when it makes sense, and how you can eliminate it. Because at the end of the day, when it, at least when it comes to personal debt, we really want to have as much freedom. And when you have that debt, it ties you down. That's why we brought in Adam Carroll. Adam Carroll is uh, the founder and creator of the Shred Method. He paid off his home in record time, saving over $180,000 in interest in the process. He's sharing this strategy with the world in order to help people free themselves to be themselves. Adam is an author and has published four books, which we're going to get into. He's also produced an award-winning documentary on student loan debt. And of course, it's October of 2023 and student loans are now due again. People have got to make payments, so we'll get into that. He's got a TED Talk with over 5 million views and he helps people achieve true financial freedom in their lives. More than financial freedom, he's all about helping people achieve time freedom, relationship freedom and service freedom. Pretty much the whole reason why we all became entrepreneurs, which is most of the audience. So Adam, welcome to the show. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. How's it going? Leo, thank you so much for having me. It's going great. I am thrilled to be with you and excited to uh, see where our conversation goes today. Yeah, no, it is going to be an exciting conversation and one that's always pertinent. Uh, in fact, we've been creating a different content uh, around some of the ways and tactics uh, to eliminate debt. And so this is going to be interesting. Of course, we talk about good debt versus bad debt and so forth. But we love to find out more about your background. What led you towards you know, an entrepreneurial path? You and I were talking maybe about a few few events that may have led to that. But what, what was your back? What's your background like? And and how did you eventually go towards entrepreneurship and and uh, maybe, as some people say, leaving the rat race? Leaving the rat race, indeed. I think, well, whenever anyone asks me about my entrepreneurial origin story, uh, I go back to when I was, I think I was seven or eight years old, and I had made a chocolate cake, the recipe on the side of a Hershey's cocoa can. And a neighbor had come over, and I'm sure it was just being super gracious and flattering to a young kid. It was like, oh, Adam, this is so delicious. And I would totally buy a cake like this from you. And before <laughs> you knew it, I was out knocking on doors selling, you know, cakes to uh, multiple people in the neighborhood. I think I sold two or three that week and I made like $22. And nice. from that point forward, Leo, I was hooked. Um, but it goes deeper than that. We mentioned I, in college, I worked for a company called Southwestern Publishing and I sold books, study guides door to door throughout my college experience. And um, I was really just introduced to the idea that if you want to make more money, you just, you create more value and you work harder. And for me, that was very much an entrepreneurial message, not a W2 work eight to five, but how, how hard can I work? How fast, how smart can I work and make as much as I can? Uh, that kind of became my mantra in my twenties and thirties. Hmm. 
Absolutely. So, so you're learning about entrepreneurship. Sales is a big part of it. No question about it. If you're going to become an entrepreneur at some point, either you or someone on your team better be really good at sales. And that's that's certainly part of it. So as you were knocking door to door and, and selling some of these uh, uh, valuable books uh, to, to your customers, what were some of the, you know, adversities and, and you know, struggles that you went through maybe, or maybe, maybe you didn't, but uh, if you did, what what were some of the lessons learned or yeah. at least aha moments like, oh, this, this is for me, you know, like, like I said, yeah. there's value. I can have some freedom. Those summers were wrought with challenge. Um, I, and I think that was probably one of the things that much like you and your, your college business experience and what you started, um, you know, you get a lot of rejection right off the bat. And we would knock on 200 doors a day. That was our goal was to go out wow, and get 200 doors impressive. knocked on. Um, you know, we'd work from seven in the morning till seven at night, sometimes eight at night. Yeah. Um, so 200 doors, we might get told, yes, like you're welcome to come in and show me the books maybe two to five times during the day. So imagine being told no, 195 to 198 times a day. And you do that week, week in, week out for 12 weeks. By the end of the summer, we always joke, but it was like, we'll go ask any girl out. It does like rejection has no power over me whatsoever. Uh, and all of my fellow book people. Um, so I think that was one of the ahas was that rejection for a lot of people when you start a business can either make or break you. Because if you're getting a lot of it and you're you're downtrodden on the business idea versus realizing the mantra in your head should be some will, some won't, so what, who's next, you know? And, and so for me getting into business, I had that sort of indifference around rejection. I was getting it, but I never really internalized it because it's just part of sales. Every no leads you closer to a yes. And, um, and, and selling books really taught me that. Absolutely. No, no question about it. So sales adversity, it's, it's all part of the process. And sometimes I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in sales is we just don't have enough volume and we think, oh, you know, maybe there's not really a fit. There isn't a proof of concept for this product or service. I remember one of my mentors uh, sharing that uh, he went out and handed out like uh, 300 flyers. And then he talked to his mentor and his mentor's like, yeah, when we do a test, we, we hand out 5,000 flyers. Like that gives you a real test of data. Yeah. 300 is not enough. And so when you start to open your eyes to volume, it really is legitimately about knocking on more doors no to figure out if there's a need and, and if there's a fit for your product or service. And too many people are too quick to give up on it before actually knowing you know, if they, if there's a fit for the product. No so, kidding. so incredible uh, stories there and, and stuff that a lot of us have had to go through that are entrepreneurs. And that's what this audience consists of. So what led you to the business that you're in now, which is the business yeah. of serving others and helping them, helping families to eliminate debt, to create financial freedom. I mean, we, all of this audience, we're, we're business owners, we're investors, we're side yeah. hustlers. We want a better life for our family. We want that freedom. And, and you talk a lot about freedom. Uh, talk to us. What, what led you towards creating this business around helping people 
deal with debt because as we've seen it in this country, recent news shows that credit card debt just surpassed $1 trillion. Yep. We just talked about it. Student loan payments were on moratorium for you know the last several years. And those payments are now live again as of this month. And people have to go back to paying, you know, I think it's 1.6 trillion maybe in student yeah, loan debt. 1. So 1.78 is what I 1. saw. 1.78. Yeah. So I mean those are those are big numbers and they only yeah. continue to go up. How how what led you towards uh, this direction, which is obviously it's a big need. Yeah, it's interesting because it's been very evolutionary for me, Leo. Um, you know, when I graduated from the state university where I went to school, and it was the University of Northern Iowa, go Panthers. We are the the Harvard of Iowa. Um, we were, I was a debt statistic. You know, we were all deeply in debt at the time, but deep in debt when I graduated was like high 20s, low 30s, you know, $30,000 in student loans. I had $8,000 in credit card debt. And I realized very quickly when I graduated that I had been a rich college kid and I quickly became a broke professional. And at that point, I thought, well, what the heck? Why didn't they teach us any of this in school, that that this was the aftermath of taking out all these loans? And I was not a business student. I was a, I was a candidly a, a broadcasting major. I thought I was going to be in front of a camera. Turns out it's a Zoom camera so many years later. But um, the reality was that I wanted to teach other people what I'd learned in the two years after I graduated my new wife and I, we blasted away our debt in record time. And so I started going out and teaching that to college students. And then it spread to banks and credit unions and associations. And it just got kind of bigger and bigger. The message took on a life of its own. But one of the things I realized in the midst of it, Leo, around this freedom idea was that people should build, be building a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. And I saw a lot of people building a really big lifestyle for themselves, the, the house, the car, the trips, the clothes, meals out. And they were stuck in a job they, they hated, or they were in a business that didn't make them enough money. And I, and I kept thinking, it's, we've got it backwards. If we build a bigger life for ourselves, which might mean suppressing some of our expenses, getting rid of debt and you know, minimizing what we can, our life gets way, way bigger. And somewhere along the lines of there, the, the shred method was kind of introduced to me and I modified it, bought the source code of our software and started teaching people how to blast away debt in record time with the main intention of just creating freedom for people in short order, not, not decades away, but you know, months away for some people. Yeah, no, no question. One, let me ask you something. One of the biggest challenges that we have in our environment now is everybody wants everything now. Yep. Like you see, you graduate from college, you get a job, and then it's now, 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 now. Yeah. And one of the, you know, that we, I think a lot of people, we, we've heard this uh, experiment where they gave the kids a marshmallow and they said, if you can wait 30 or 60 minutes, we'll give you more marshmallows. Yep. But if you can't, then we won't. And they did the test and, you know, a certain percentage of them were able to wait and they got the extra marshmallow or whatever. Just this example that if you can delay your gratification, you're right. going to win and have a much better life. How big of an obstacle is it to help, help people eliminate debt, understanding at some point there's got to be some delaying of gratification? Yeah. How do people overcome that issue that we all struggle with? Yeah, this is a great question um, because most people I, I have found anyway that we work with, 
they've gotten themselves in over their head, but they do it out of human behavior. It's that idea that it is a bit of a microwave culture. So if we want it, well, we can get it now. We don't have to wait till later. We'll just finance it or we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll scale up on the home that we want now. And yes, the payment's a little bit big, bigger and more than we can afford maybe, but it's okay. We'll ease into it as we make more and more money. And, you know, what we do often is, is we'll start to challenge, what does money mean to you? And what does freedom mean to you? And one of the very first exercises we go through with people, Leo, candidly, is, is we say, let's figure out what your core values are. Because if your life mm-hmm. is, is living according to your core values, but the current lifestyle you're living does not, once we realign ourselves with our core values, and I show you in 24 months, you could have a drastically different picture are you willing to commit 18 to 24 months to make that happen? Nine times out of 10 people are like, show me how, and you know, just promise me I don't have to eat beans and rice, which is not a, it's, it's not a sexy way of living. And we don't, we don't advocate for that. Um, but we do tell them we have to get really intentional about what we're doing with money because, and this is really central. I might even ask you the question, Leo, if, if you're getting paid, regularly do you ever have money that just sits in your checking account for days or weeks or months on end i don't because i move it out of my checking account to investments to savings accounts and uh the two things i i typically invest in are, are real estate and other businesses yeah and so for me i i don't leave money just sitting in the checking account i, I like to put it to work yes but i can tell you early on in my career I was in my 20s as an entrepreneur, I was somebody who the lifestyle, my income increased. Guess what? My lifestyle increased. Yeah. And so even though I shouldn't have been in credit card debt, I would find myself in fifteen dollars to $20,000 of credit card debt all the time. Yeah. And I had no business being in that position because I was incapable of delaying gratification of right you know, buckling up for 12 months and, and having this understanding that, you know, a mortgage, fine, a car loan, okay, but everything beyond that for personal reasons, you, you need to pay cash for, and you you shouldn't be, unless it's a medical emergency. I mean, so that those were some of my takeaways, but yeah, yeah, I think that that's, that's my, uh, so maybe early on, even early on, I don't think I did. I think in my 20s, I was uh, up until age 27 and then the recession hit and then I had to buckle up yeah, in 08, right. 09. I mean, that was, uh, I was, I I had money in the checking account, but I, I more or less uh, would just, oh, I'm going to put it back in the business, but really I was just spending it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this is you are... Um... Certainly now it's a little bit different story probably for you because you understand the velocity of money and putting right. money to work for you. There are a number of people out there who who likely get paid. They put money in checking or savings. It sits there for maybe days or weeks or months on end. Um, all the while, they're paying amortized debt on something that probably could be knocked right. down relatively quickly. Or what I've found quite often is someone who has money sitting in an account They'll walk, this is where they'll walk into Costco and like, oh, a kayak. I've always wanted a kayak and I have an extra $400 sitting here. I might as well get it. So we we tend, when we start working with clients around shred is we'll say, listen, when you have money sitting on the sidelines and it's idle, it's dangerous money. Because whenever we have idle money, we think, well, of course, I'll just go to get this. And we're a little 
we like to call it flabby with our finances. You know, when you have flabby finances, you're not really paying a lot of attention to where it's going. And there are enough people, I'm sure in your listener base, that their income water level is high enough that some of the the things under the water level that could cause concern don't really cause any concern for them. And those could be, you know, recurring payments or just errant spending, or they're, they're going overboard on certain things. We don't really pay attention to that until we get really intentional about minimizing some of our lifestyle expenses, maximizing the payoff of our debt. And then you can lifestyle up once, you know, once you've taken those steps. Yeah, no, no question about it. So as a lot of people, you know, go through this process, here's here's what I see all the time, Adam. We we help people with uh, business finance and getting loans and lines of credit debt for business reasons only yeah. because they've got a proof of concept and they're they know what they're going to do in terms of marketing, scaling employees. However, I see a lot of them, I see I've seen over 100,000 credit reports. And what I'll see on these credit reports is somebody who's a business owner making $180,000, $200,000 a year in personal income, net income profits to their business, but yet their budget is legitimately $225,000 a yeah, year. Right. And I'll see the mortgages on there and I'll see, you know, maybe three car loans because maybe they have some older kids and yeah. and there's still student loans. And then well, we, we got to have a, an RV, right? Or we've got to have a totally. boat. And then um, credit cards on top of that. And yeah. they weren't used for business purposes. They were used for personal purposes and buying the kayak and all those different things. Yeah. And so I think we need to dive right into the shred method and figure yeah. out a lot of people listening. I know that follow that are business owners they might be good at their business and they can make money, but notoriously, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we're not great with managing it. We need like a, a, to become CFOs of our lives right. and of our businesses, and we're not. And so if you could unpack the, the shred method, I guarantee you more than half of our listeners are in that spot and they've got what I call bad debt. I'm yeah. going to say if you have if you have a mortgage and you bought it within your means and hopefully it represents 25% or less of your income, okay, and you got a reasonable car and hopefully you got it when rates were lower, but beyond that, there really shouldn't be any personal debt. There just there's just shouldn't. And now if you had debt for a business and yep. hopefully you, you build up the income, then you pay it off. You have a line of credit available in case you need it. That's that's it. But so more than half have all the bad debt? How do they get out of it? Yeah, this is a great question. So let's say somebody has more than just what you listed, the the mortgage, a car, maybe they got multiple cars, they've got some credit card debt, et cetera, some student loans still hang out over their head. The way the shred method works, Leo, is the money itself that we're making, we're paying ourselves as business owners. Generally speaking, someone's going to drop that into a checking account Hopefully, that hopefully they're not commingling business accounts and personal, but oh, I'm going to yeah, assume they're, they're savvy enough that they're dropping into a personal account. And usually it will it will pay the mortgage, pay the car payments, pay living expenses, et cetera. Any leftover, they would likely put towards maybe saving or investing. Um, but in reality, most people, it goes to Costco, Target and dining out. That's where it goes. And what we do with the shred method is we teach them the income instead of going into checking it goes into what we call a shred account. And the shred account could be very simply a line of credit, 
like a, a home equity line of credit, a personal line of credit. In some cases, it could be a business line of credit. And then our software basically will calculate how much is coming in, how much is going out, when are those payments being made, and when can we leverage or deploy a certain amount against that line of credit towards some of our amortized debts, like our, our bigger ones, student loans, car loans, and ultimately a mortgage. And we, we obviously want to get rid of credit cards first. We'll do that right off the bat. We'll go after cars second, usually. And our point of doing it is that we want to increase the amount of discretionary income that someone has to play with on a monthly basis. So by the time we get rid of a car payment, and that might free up anywhere from three or 400 to 1200 with some people I've worked with, oh, yeah. you, can, you can radically change the amount of debt that you're able to pay off and, and translate that, the amount of interest that you're able to save in the short and long run on you know the biggest debt most of us will ever have, which is our mortgage. And, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, for some people, this is about knocking it all the way down to zero. And for others, it's about just accelerating the amortization table to a point where the majority of your payments going towards principal. Because for most of us, if we were to look at our most recent mortgage statement, a vast majority of that payment's going to, to interest, not to principal. So when, when I talk to uh, new users and I say, hey, what would it look like for you to claw back an extra twenty dollars or $30,000 a year? And they're like, oh my gosh, it'd be life-changing. Another $2,500 a month, would that would totally change things. And I'd say, cool, give me 12 to 18 months. We'll claw back you know, two, two grand to 2,500 a month that you're normally sending out of the house in interest payments. And now it's going to build your net worth. And, and it's all done just through the change of the way the money flows through the household and leveraging that shred account against your amortized debts. So the key sense? here is the key here is to start with that shred account. And that shred account is a revolving line of credit could be a personal line of credit, could be maybe a home equity line of credit. Yep. Now, I've I've heard, and in fact, I know that there are also lines of credit that you can get that could be like a first mortgage lien against your house. Is that part of the shred method? So this is interesting. There's a, a number of folks out there that are that are promoting or pushing this first lien mortgage, like the replace your mortgage program. Yeah. And and they're they're worthwhile. They do something very similar to what the shred method does in terms of being able to access that pool of liquidity, if you will, that you're building in your home equity. Um, the difference is, and, and I've done both, we've had a first lien HELOC and we've just used the shred method. The difference is that there is a, an accelerated feeling of paying down the mortgage when you're using a separate shred account as opposed to just a first lien HELOC. And I don't know any other way to describe it, Leo, other than psychologically, when you look at a big number on your mortgage or on a HELOC as a first lien, and it's, let's say, a $200,000 balance versus looking at a $200,000 balance on a, on a mortgage and a eight or $10,000 balance on a HELOC that's revolving, mm -hmm. but it's taking huge chunks out of that mortgage at a time, it feels like you're getting farther, faster when you use the shred method than it does if you're doing first lien HELOC type positions. And then secondarily, the interest rate on those, we have to be very careful of because first lien HELOCs are not 
often locked in at 3%. They're usually variable rates, right? They're variable. They could be eight and a half or nine right now. Right. So, you know, the way we do it is we're using short bursts of maybe a little bit higher interest rate money, but we're deploying it against long-term amortized debt at a pretty serious balance, right? And, and in effect, I mean, for the savvy folks who understand finances in your listener base, we're creating arbitrage. You know, we're, we're saying if you borrow a hundred dollars from me today and pay $5 in simple interest, but know that you're going to save $2,000 on the back end, would you do that month in month out? People are like all day, every day. And that's exactly what we do, but we do it within the confines of an algorithm that tells you exactly what to do on a day by day, week by week basis to get the most gotcha. benefit for your, for your money. Got you. So let's, let's take, let's take a, a case study, a theoretical yeah. case study. Let's say Bob, 35 years old, two kids, he and his wife started this business. Uh, they're doing pretty well. However, you know, they've got a, a $500,000 mortgage. I think it's probably pretty average. Yep. Luckily they got it at a, you know, three and a half percent interest rate a couple of years ago. Yep. They've got uh, two car loans, uh, $30,000 each. They've got the average student loan balance, I think, in this country is about is it 40,000, I think. Yeah, probably close let's to say, that. Let's yep. say they've got about uh, 30,000 left in student loans and they've got another $25,000 in credit card debt because they just do. So where would where should Bob and his family start? And let's case study this and go to town. Yeah, I love this. So if and, and give me a sense, what's Bob making in a hypothetical situation? Bob's making $120,000 a year in his business. In his business. Okay. So uh, net or gross? <laughs> um, let's say it's net because, you know, he's he's got some taxes. He's a business owner. He's pretty yeah. smart. So he lowers them. So he's he's keeping a decent amount of his money. Okay, good. So we have, let's, let's assume these numbers, 500 grand on a mortgage. We got 30 grand times two on cars. We've got 25 in credit card debt. We've got 30 grand in student loans. Great memory. And with my quick math, I'm assuming that on a monthly basis, that means their monthly payments are somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six grand. That right? sounds about right. Yep. And there's probably another maybe 2000 in household expenses, just lifestyle, utilities, and yeah, kids, internet, kids, sports, all that stuff. Kids, sports. Yeah. Those sports are expensive. Food. They got to eat every now and again. So, uh, you know, let's just say there's 7,000, uh, because we'll go around number of five, two grand in expenses That's seven grand they're spending, but he's bringing home around 10 net. So we've got you know, let's say 2000 in discretionary income, one, three, two to three, but we'll say two. Yeah. So two grand in discretionary income is a significant amount. And what Bob and his family may be doing is dollar cost average investing or putting a little bit here and there over funding, trying to do 529 plans for the kids and 401k and Roth IRA and all that. And and as it generally goes for for most families, when we start working with them, We'll say, how important is that for you that you pay for the kids' college, you know, that that you're putting investments in Roth IRA every single year, knowing that if we pause just momentarily, we may be able to to do big lump sum payments within 18 months anyway. So, you know, we'll we'll gauge where people are at. But the very first thing we would do with Bob and his family is we'd say, okay, you have five hundred thousand dollars on a mortgage, the house is worth six. 
So we're going to have you go get a line of credit for somewhere between 20 and 30,000. And he'd probably be able to get 50,000 from his local credit union. Okay. I agree. Local credit union is the way to go with those. They're the best. Yeah. So 50 grand on the line of credit. We run all the numbers through the shred method. Okay. And shred would, would basically look at interest rates, balances, payments, et cetera. And it would likely have Bob probably pay off either given the, the credit card is 25 grand and it's probably at a a high interest rate for sure. uh, It'd go after that first. Right. And so we would knock it out. We probably knock it out in maybe two or three payments. So within the first two or three months, the credit card debt is gone. And when I say that, what I mean, Leo is, is it would be absorbed into the line of credit, but the income is cycling through the line of credit. So in all reality, what Bob's been paying interest on, on that credit card for months and months and months, it'd be reduced to rubble in three months. I mean, like literally almost gone. And then that might free up, let's say, you know, we, on average, I always think that about 4%, two to 4% of a person's balance is what their minimum payment is. So he was probably paying 500 to a thousand bucks a month in credit card payments. Oh, for so sure. That frees up 500 to a thousand in discretionary income. So if you're tracking, we're now up to between three and four grand in discretionary income is what Bob and his family have. We're in only in month two or three. Because and that payment is- on the, on the, the line of credit is going to be much, much smaller than what he was paying on the credit cards. Much smaller. And in fact, because the income is cycling through the line of credit, it is treated like a payment every time a deposit is made. So when yeah. people will say, yeah, but I'm going to be making a payment on my HELOC, we go, technically, yes, but you won't even feel it because it's all absorbed in the payment that's that you're sending in in terms of principal. Um, so secondarily, the system would say, okay, let's go after which of the payments is highest. And let's assume that Bob's got a an SUV that he's driving and it's got a $700 a month payment. And so over the next two or three months, we're going to knock that $30,000 SUV payment out. And now we're up to about $4,700 a month, somewhere between 3,500 and 47 in discretionary income. And now we're going to go after the wife's car and we're going to knock that out, knock that out in a few months. And if you're tracking with me within nine to 12 months, the first year of working with Shred, there'll be no car payments, no student loan payment. I'm sorry, no credit card payment. We still have student loans to deal with, but we freed up somewhere between, you know, four and five grand worth of discretionary income of the 10 grand that he's bringing home. So automatically life feels a little bit easier for Bob, right? He had a big lifestyle before with the car payments and the credit card payment. And now it feels like there's more life because let's assume one month they go, Hey, we want to take a vacation. We have this five grand that, that we now have in discretionary income. We hit pause on shred. They go on vacation, they come back and we turn it right back up again and start going. And within again, 12 to 18 months, now we're going hard to the hoop on their mortgage. And in year one or, or year two, technically of using shred, they'll take a $500,000 balance probably somewhere down to about 420,000. And the way we do that is we're leveraging the discretionary income cycling through. The income is cycling through the system and they're still making their monthly mortgage payment, but more and more of their mortgage payment is going to principal. And so a situation like Bob's 
year one, they're mostly out of debt, almost entirely all, everything but the mortgage. And within the next, I would say five to six years, they could be completely debt-free, no mortgage at all. So mm. within seven years, a situation like that, business owner owns their home free and clear, no credit card debt, no car loans. And from that point forward, buying cars looks different, vacations look different, investing looks different because we're stroking big checks. I mean, like, you know, 50 to $100,000 checks we can stroke out of the, the equity, which is a pool of liquidity, which changes the nature of the investments we're making. So, so once you get debt-free and, and you're in a good position and now there's a lot more discretionary, but, you know, these are smart people, they're entrepreneurial, they want to build it, like, where, yeah. where, what should they look to do next? Yeah. So this is my favorite part is we lead people through what I like to call a 10-year freedom plan. So years one and two, you're shredding. You're just getting to the heart of it. You're making money yeah. intentional. Years two, three, and four, we're actually starting to build these side funds. And the way we personally do it with our company and who, who we're coaching is through infinite banking policy. So we overfund cash value life insurance as a means of creating a bank of money that allows us to invest well and or loan money to our company when we need it. So we we begin to to lose our tie to the bank necessarily and you just become your own bank. We become our own bank in effect. And then the last piece of that is, you know, you've built a business over a number of years, you've got stability, you've got repeat income, and now you're looking at where do I put this money that's sitting in these policies? We start to look towards syndications, we look towards businesses that we can invest in or buy out. We look to, again, loaning money back to the company to increase our ad spend or add another salesperson or two to build our, our net worth, our wealth. So it becomes very strategic what you do with it, but it requires that you build the foundation at the beginning. And I think, you know, to your point, like a company that gets to seven figures and eight figure businesses they've built really solid foundations that they can build upon and they understand their finances at such a, a, a finite level that allows them to do that well, to leverage and grow. And the way I like to describe it is take calculated risks instead of being risky. And when we take calculated risk, we can, we can grow, we can leverage what we're doing with the the relative knowledge that the money I'm putting in is probably going to generate two or three on the back end. For every dollar I put in, I'll, I'll generate two or three. But I liked how you started this entire discussion off with a foundation of core values, core principles. I'm wondering what are some of the timeless values and principles you feel like has made you successful? Well, I've gone through this exercise so many times, and and generally speaking, everything comes out the same. And there was only one time that it didn't, Leo, and it was during COVID and, you know, quarantines and lockdown and all of that. Yeah. But my, my five top five core values in order are family, freedom, love, growth, and connection. And for me, you know, family is at the heart of what I do. I, money for me is it's, it's not a, it is a means the end to that means is creating option choice and opportunity for my family. So when I look, think about, I'm going to make more money. What I also think about is that means we can take a nicer vacation or we could buy a second home somewhere that allows us to have amazing family memories made. Um, it allows me to fund my son's business when he's ready to launch. 
you know, it's those kinds of things that, that money makes for me. Freedom is one of my, you know, it's my number two core value. And for me, I think that freedom really plays four different parts. It's money freedom. It is time freedom. It is relationship freedom and it's service freedom. And it's this idea, we call them the four legacies, but financial freedom is what most of us are about. That's just you know, being able to, to um, know that there's more than enough coming in to cover all of our expenses for an infinite amount of time. Time freedom is what money freedom gets, gives us. You know, we buy back time. That's ultimately what entrepreneurs are trying to do. Um, we buy back time to spend time with people we want to spend time with. That's relationship freedom. And then service freedom is this idea, I think that, and I heard this from a speaker one time, I can't remember his name, but he said, we were not put on this earth to be employed. We were put on this earth to be deployed. And when you realize your deployment is probably your business, that is the service freedom. Like the, the more free you are to go serve other people, um, then you're probably going to be richly rewarded for it, whether in money, time, relationships, or just goodness, you know, in your life. Um, so family freedom, love, growth, and connection for me happen in networking and meeting people. And um, that's what changed during COVID. I was stuck inside and I didn't feel like I had enough connection and I didn't feel like I was growing and I needed both of those. And I, and I feel like I need people in order to do that. No question. Well, beautiful uh, legacy and, and long-term thoughts. Uh, but for the audience uh, right now listening that maybe is dealing with some of those debt issues and really needs a strategy that can work, what can they do? Where can they start today? And, and how can they learn more about the Shred Method? Well, the first thing that I would have any business owner, any homeowner do, if you're thinking, I don't know, will this work for me, is go look at your most recent mortgage statement and see how much of your mortgage payment is going to principal and how much is going to interest. And for anyone that has a, a five, six, 7% interest rate, maybe you bought in the last couple of years, you absolutely will want to take a look at this. And if even if people who are at 3% and you've been in your mortgage for five years, it's an amazing shift when you start figuring out what, what Shred can do for you. Um, the easiest place to go is theshredmethod.com. And on that site, Leo, at theshredmethod.com is a masterclass, and it's about 25 minutes. If you watch it at 1.5 times speed, I sound uh, smarter and funnier. And so you can get through it in no time, but it'll give you the the who, what, when, where, and how of the shred method. And then we do a um, you know a complimentary 20-minute call with anyone who says, run my number, see what I can save, see how fast I could be out of debt. And it's eye-opening for most people when they realize that that all hope is not lost and they can actually kind of resurrect that feeling of freedom and, and hope in short order by just doing a, a few very strategic things that we help them with. So those would be my two steps. Visit the Shred Method and book a 20-minute call if you're so inclined. There we go, everybody. This is not a passive podcast. This is a podcast for action takers. And so anybody dealing with debt in any way, shape, or form where you're looking for a method to create more freedom in your life, understand that there's going to be some delayed gratification mixed in there, but there is a method. It's called the Shred Method. Go to theshredmethod.com. I'm on the website right now. You can literally start calculating your savings, how fast you can pay your house off, how fast you can pay your debt off. Uh, there's a white paper you can download and read for free. There's a masterclass you can watch. 
as Adam just shared with us. And you can also connect with his team that's available for a discovery call free of charge just to find out what your options are. And, and no matter where you're at, they're going to point you in the right direction. And if you're willing and ready and motivated, you can absolutely create a life of freedom and a life that, I mean, that's what we're here for. We're, we're here for Tony Robbins once was asked what he thought the purpose to life was. And I really loved his answer. He talked about, it's about giving and it's about growth. And when you're growing, you're able to give a lot more. And this is a, a great place to start at the shredmethod.com. Adam, the, the final word is yours. It's been an amazing uh, journey listening to your journey and learning so much about uh, the, and these things are not, I guess I should point out this too. And I talk about this often. This is not taught in school. Debt, mm -hmm. how you deal with it, finances, credit, those things are not taught in school. And so yeah. this is why you have to work with someone who's an expert in these things. Uh, but what, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on, uh, you know, in the world of 2023, where we've got a country with over a trillion dollars in credit card debt, you just said 1.78 trillion in student loan debt. For wow. somebody who is maybe struggling to actually increase their income or they're just barely making ends meet, where what do you think would be a good step that person could take today? Because it's one thing if you're a business owner, you have that additional income and you just need the right strategy, but it's another if you're in a tight spot and you're barely making it, maybe you're not even making ends meet, where yeah. should that person go? What should they do? The, there is something that's coming to mind for me, Leo, that I think is, uh, call it advice or guidance or or something to question, at least be an inquiry about, yeah. is it is it is someone's money mindset and emotional connection to money that generally gets them stuck. Yeah. And we don't all, you know, we definitely don't learn this in school, but there are over a hundred different emotions that are tied to money. Wow. And we we learn those emotions as young people. And so I'm going to take a, a page out of a book called Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harv Eker. And this was printed years ago, but a brilliant book. He said, if you want to change the fruits, you must first change the roots. And the fruits on our, the, our tree of life could be apples and we really want oranges. The only way to change that is go back to the roots. And so for entrepreneurs or, or your listeners that are finding themselves in debt, what did you learn about money as a child? that you are still living into, you're still running the script as if that were the truth. When that was your parents' truth, it's not your truth. And when we start to really unpack people's emotional connection to money, it changes the nature of A, the dialogue, but B, their transactions, because they they can start seeing it through a different lens where it's like, oh, I was, it was all based in fear or it was all based in, uh, you know, me seeing other people as greedy or, me not feeling like I was worthy of money. That's why I'm creating the scenario I'm in. And we do that through coaching at the shred method is we start to break down. Why are you doing what you're doing and know that we can teach you all the tactics in the world, but if we don't know your mindset around money, it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll revert right back to what you were doing before. And so quick hit, I would say question, what were your early money memories and what's your relationship to money? And if it feels unhealthy or reeking of some other emotion other than fulfillment or happiness or generosity, let's talk because chances are we can begin to rewire that and begin to change the roots so that it will also change your fruits. 
Wow, what a powerful quote, everybody. If you want to change your fruits, first, you got to change your roots and the false beliefs that we have about money and income and wealth are very, very prevalent. And if you don't identify them, it's it's pretty hard to, to make uh, the progress you want to. So amazing. Make sure you guys go to the shred method. Dot com. If you want to look up any of Adam's books, it's uh, Adam Carroll. He's got four amazing books that you can check out. But the first place to go is The Shred Method. Watch the masterclass, read the book, and get the right principles and values around money. There's a hundred emotions. I didn't even know that. That's a lot of emotional baggage. If you don't deal with it, it's going to be hard to succeed. Well, thank you, Adam, so much for being a guest on the show. And everybody, make sure you take action. Get your financial health right so you can create the life you want for you and your family. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.